Hello and welcome to the Holistic Nutritionist Podcast with your hosts Natalie K. Douglas, thyroid healer, and Kate Callahan, the Holistic Nutritionist. Nat and Kate are degree qualified dietitians and nutritionists, certified fitness instructors, speakers, and authors. If you love unfiltered banter, unedited bloopers, and authentic heart sharing, then we are your ladies. Now it's time to sit back, relax, and get ready for our latest tips on living your healthiest life possible. Hello guys, I thought I would do a little quick introduction before we get started because we are lucky enough to be joined by another amazing guest, Amy Needham. And Amy is a nutrition and performance coach. She currently lectures and mentors in performance nutrition to a variety of people across the world, including doctors. Amy sees clients both online and face-to-face with most of these clients looking for body transformations and a mental shift in regards to health. Amy was a competitive gymnast for 10 years and has several qualifications in yoga, massage, powerlifting, women's artistics, gymnastics, boxing, cert three and four in fitness and personal training, along with mentorships in exercise, sports science and physiology, as well as female health. This legend of a fellow nerd is also a student in a Bachelor of Health Science in Nutrition and Masters in Dietetics. Her focus as a coach is upon improving the lives of all that she, all that she meets, creating a body and mind transformation working specifically with hormonal health and the psychology of eating to create lifestyle-based body recomposition to maintain a lean and strong physique year-round is definitely her jam. As Amy puts it, she bridges the gap between health and fitness to dispel the bullshit and give knowledge to the masses. Her point of difference as a coach is that she doesn't want to retain clients. She simply wants to create the physical change in a way that educates the person enough to go about it alone after they finish up. Now, before we jump in, I just wanted to remind you that this Friday, the 7th of Feb, is the last chance you have to join my online program, Thyroid Rescue, at the Early Bird Offer. This is the only time in 2020 that the live round of Thyroid Rescue will be at this price. So if you know that you need to make a change this year and break the cycle of just surviving, and you want to reclaim your energy and heal your thyroid naturally and balance your hormones and optimize your gut health and be surrounded by not just myself, but a whole bunch of like-minded women just like you, then please don't just sit back and wait. There is no perfect time to make changes to your health. Your schedule is never going to be completely clear of obligations and that's so okay because that is real life and something I am super passionate about helping you navigate in the program while you heal. If it's money that is holding you back, let me remind you that without your health and energy, your ability to be productive and make more money and the ability to show up as the best version of yourself for your loved ones and yourself is seriously going to be compromised. You have to see your health as the investment it is because as cliche as it sounds, you can pay now or you can pay later. And I know you know this, but remember that it's not just money you pay in by not committing to doing something different. It's all of the other stuff. And I'd argue the more important stuff like time, energy, memories. You are smart and you know this. So here's your sign if you're looking for one. 
to feel the fear and do it anyway. And if you want to have a quick chat with me, I am offering free 20-minute discovery calls before the program sign up or the cart closes on February 7th. So to book one of those in, please just contact me at nat at nataliekdouglas.com or DM me on Instagram and I will find, I'll give you the link. Okay, that is all from me. I really want to jump into this chat with Amy because I know you guys are going to love it. Hello, Amy, and welcome to the Holistic Nutritionist Podcast. Thanks so much for taking some time out to chat with us. I'm really excited about all of the things that we have to talk about today. What I wanted to start with before we jump into the deliciousness that is going to be this podcast is what's your current morning routine? I'm really interested in this because I know from an Insta stalk that you do get up early. I do get up early. This morning was 3am, so just kind of pushing it a little bit. Um, right. So my morning routine normally wouldn't be 3am and normally be 4am. My first clients are normally at 5. So at the moment, I'm kind of working on a habit change um so it used to be when i first wake up in the morning i would check my phone which is terrible um especially if it's instagram or client emails or whatsapp so now i'm switching it over to i check three apps um i check my word of the day so i learn something new oh i love it yeah um i check my affirmation app and then also well i check my sleep quality and my motivation so um, more kind of a positive mindset apps that, that I can work through um, before I quickly switch on Spotify onto like an old school banger or something and then jump out of bed. Oh, I love that. Tunes, it's, it's like music's such a good way to start the day, I reckon. Yeah, Beyonce in her finest form, it always gets me out of bed in the morning. Oh, I love Beyonce. I actually think that I would, I missed my calling as like, a, like a dancer of, of some Beyonce description. I just started dance classes this year. Like I didn't dance when I was younger, but I just started dance classes or oh, last year actually and did jazz and I'm doing jazz and hip hop this year. Oh, so good. fun. I'm like, man, why did I not do this earlier? <laughs> I feel like I should have been more into dance instead of gymnastics as a child. I went back and tried the same and I tried to be hip hop and mm. gymnast trying to be flowy. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. A little different. Especially with long limbs. Yeah. Not as good. Yeah, I can imagine. I feel like my body's built for hip hop because I'm kind I'm short and I feel oh, like you would do so well. Yeah. Some grunge. Yeah, that's right. That's it. So I'm just embracing the, um, you know, it's never too late vibe over here. So that's what we're going to go with. Good, I, love, good. I love that morning routine. Now, moving into more of our topic of today, what do you feel like the biggest mistake women make um, when it comes to exercise? Um, personally, I think it's that they're focusing on fat loss when it comes to exercise as opposed to focusing on progressive overload. So progressive overload being the ability to do more um, over a time, changing training very little. So things like your load, uh, your volume, or the number of reps and sets that you do, um, and the range of motion or the amount of muscle fibers you can actually recruit. So obviously, as you know, if we can squat a little bit deeper, we can recruit more muscle. Um, but a lot of the time, females seem to focus on getting sweaty Mm, and using yes. that kind of as a marker of success. Now, that doesn't necessarily equate to a greater or tighter or leaner physique. 
mm-hmm. um, especially if your body's going to adapt to it and it can see it more as what we would call neat or non-exercise activity thermogenesis if you're repetitively doing the same thing and wondering why you're not kind of getting the changes you want to see Mm -hmm. okay interesting so when you say like kind of repeatedly doing the same thing Mm -hmm. if you're talking about progressive overload how often for example should someone change their program or manipulate part of that equation that you're talking about so generally if i'm structuring a program for a client it's three to four weeks that i structure a program for them i personally like programs that undulate um Mm -hmm. so what i mean by that is that uh, three weeks might be focused on higher rep ranges um with a moderate kind of load and then the next three or four weeks would be focused on lower rep ranges with um, a heavier load so it kind of naturally allows their body to get challenged but then also deload so they're not overly stressing their body out rather Mm -hmm. than focusing on a similar rep range um a similar set of sets um and not really progressing in the amount of weight change that they get on the bar yeah okay so i love that and when you're talking about like changing so a lot of people assume oh i need to change um all the exercises that i do but are you saying that you can keep some of those foundational lifts for example if we're talking about strength training we can Mm -hmm. keep some of the foundational lifts in but actually manipulate those other variables like reps for example to create the change it's does your body get used to squatting for example and you need to stop squatting no you can definitely keep the similar like it depends if you want to be a a master of one area rather than a jack of all trades and you and you really want an amazing squat there is no reason why you can't have a squat throughout 12 weeks or 16 weeks if not longer of your programming if that's what you want to improve upon if one of my girls wants to increase her pull-ups and be someone who does like pronated or wide grip pull-ups um, with weight then i would obviously program that in for a lot longer so that they can actually master the exercise that they're doing you do want to go through full range of motion through most of your limbs. Um, however, it, it's not going. If you are doing that in a squat, it's not going to cause any issues unless, of course, you have some kind of muscular imbalance and you do need to work on one side more than the other, or work on unilateral exercises to kind of even out. Mm, okay, awesome. Got it. I actually, funny you say that. I used to. When I was doing CrossFit, don't judge me. It was, it was a moment of a few years weakness. actually of, of weakness. Um, I um I ended up with when I used to, I think it was when I used to squat. One like my left foot was like almost half a foot in front of my right foot, and I felt like my hips were square. This is not right. <laughs> but I was that person that was like, I'm just going to do everything as fast as I can and like not worry yeah. about my form. So I'm an example of what not to do. Everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's okay. We all learn from our, from our exactly. mistakes. Yeah, you just made it look fancy. It was a little like, they, they call that now a B stamp. So it was just going into oh, the there you go. There you go. I was a hundred percent ahead of my time. They're going to bring it to the CrossFit games. At some oh, they are. <laughs> Beast dance squat brought to you by Natalie Douglas. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. So now when it comes to strength training, 
for females, or I I guess the benefits will also be for males as well. But let's just pretend we're talking just about females because that's mainly who is listening. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what the actual benefits are and maybe can you define what you're talking about when you're saying strength training? So some people will not know exactly what you're talking about. So is it, are you talking about um, you know, lifting weights, even if it's in like a circuit or are you specifically talking about um, a certain way to lift them? Yeah. So generally when I'm speaking about strength training, I'm uh, focusing on that progressive overload. So for example, if somebody completed um, three sets of 10 and they did it in 30 kilos and the total volume or the total weight amount that they lifted by the end of their four weeks, if they increase per week, that program itself would have a weight capacity that they lifted overall Mm -hmm. if in so you want to see progressive overload weekly but also by the end of that programming so if okay I'm just going to use a random number but if they did two ton at the end of their first program but then when they repeated that program they were lifting three ton that's creating more progressive overload So what you're looking at is that you're constantly stressing those muscle fibers to lift more load. Um, The benefits of that as well, aside from that, you're actually challenging their body. Um, We know that strength training improves our immune function. It boosts our libido, improves our bone renal density, um, helps prevent things like osteoporosis or osteopenia, as well as it tightens our physique. So I think we'll go into this later, but muscle is actually quite taut. Um, and it's very lean, regardless of the weight comparison to body fat. Mm-hmm. Um, so some people kind of get confused with that, thinking that they're going to get quite bulky. Um, strength, if you're training strength, then, and that would be your rep range is generally below five, mm-hmm. that doesn't really thicken your muscle fibers. You've got obviously a variety, so our type one, our type two, or our aerobic and our anaerobic, which is why undulating a program so you know maybe three weeks at higher rep ranges and then three weeks at lower rep ranges that trains both muscle fiber types so they're kind of ways we can manipulate our strength training to suit somebody's body composition especially as women are quite diverse in the muscle fiber types in comparison to men so we can train more frequently we recover better um, and we're generally not going to get that muscular kind of male um, physique um yeah i think the one main important thing that i like to focus on with strength training especially for women though is i think it serves as like a positive self-esteem kind of catalyst like the way they approach their strength training and their ability to move an object i think improves the way they see themselves like if they think they're more capable than just their aesthetics or what they look like but they're capable of lifting a load or pulling up their own body weight um you know they're kind of things that they can focus on for their self-esteem that aren't associated with what they look like. Oh, I totally agree agree with that. I found like as much as I pay CrossFit out, um, one of the things that doing something like that like helped me with was shifting my focus from what I looked like to what my body could do. And I think that you feel empowered, like most women who have, I mean, of course, when you start anything, you feel like an absolute Gumby trying to do something. But once you actually, you know, know what you're doing, it's really empowering to lift heavy shit. Oh, yeah. It makes you feel great. 
especially as far as like there is a benefit to obviously CrossFit and stuff as well as their community basis is amazing. That's mm. why people keep going back because it totally. feels supportive um, and you're seeing changes in your body, which are a lot more of a mental shift, but it's very positive and supportive. Mm. Yep. Yep. I agree. That was what kept me there for um, a while. Um, so in terms of just on the, like, since we opened the can of worms around mm-hmm. the do um, weights make women bulky. So what about like, can you address where people tend to get, like women tend to get in particular, this kind of puffy look when they start to do too much of um, CrossFit is the one I see a lot where, and it happened to me too, but where they're like, okay, but I'm, I'm doing weight training and weight shouldn't make me bulky, but I have now, I'm now starting to look like, um, quite funny, like pretty, pretty much. And (laughs) it's a bit confusing for people because on one hand, people are like, weights don't make women bulky and on the other hand they're having this experience mm. where for them which is not doesn't happen to everybody but for them it's changed their body to look a way that doesn't make them feel feminine or comfortable mm. what's happening there in terms of yeah. yeah so you've kind of got two things so you've got the people who seem to think it'll make them bulky so this is when i talk about we don't really have the hormonal profile for a bulky kind of muscular physique like you just don't have enough testosterone growth factor or igf1 etc the same as men um and that diversity in our muscle fiber types because we have you know a lot of the type one ones which are the thicker um we can't get that thickness now in saying that there's two parts to this if you're repetitively training sarcoplasmic hypertrophy which is not to throw a big word but um it's kind of like you're fluid in the muscle cell mm-hmm. so that type of hypertrophy makes us look thicker. If someone's continually doing hypertrophy kind of ranges of like 8 to 12, they may potentially be looking at more of that form of hypertrophy versus something which is more myofibular. And this is the one which focuses on the, the strength of like contractile parts. So basically our muscle fibers, they're the of myofibular hypertrophy. They equate to strength and to speed and more like a functional um, growth of strength. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of what I see in uh, CrossFit would be a lot, well, depending on programming, I don't want to put, I know that I actually do know quite a few CrossFit coaches who actually cross uh, periodize really well for their clients and quite yeah. individually. Now, because you're using a blanket rule in something like CrossFit to train people in a group setting, I don't believe there's enough focus on their um, stabilizer muscles or on individual periodization or programming or exercises to combat their specific issues Mm. um you can also look at so we don't exactly know the reason why but women do seem to be more sensitive to cortisol or lack of a better word stress cortisol is kind of more an anti-stress hormone but Mm. if someone is continually overtraining, for example like whether it be f45 or hit or crossfit and their body is activating quite a lot of cytokines or inflammation. This can create more of a hormonal imbalance or um, risk of like HPA dysfunction. Um, the increase of uh, like in our stress cas- cascade of kind of like CRH or corticotropin releasing hormones, um, it's kind of pro-inflammatory. So this is the kind of thing that can create uh, potentially 
intestinal hyperpermeability and those foreign bodies and bacteria that then get through our stomach or through our lining can create systemic inflammation, which can create that fluffy kind of look. Mm. The way I normally see it is if a client comes into me and they've been overtraining or they've just come to me from CrossFit or they've come to me from F45 or HIIT or whatever they're doing and then they signed up for a package to me, the first time I pinch their skin to do their skin folds, uh, their skin is quite red um, and it's really thick. So it's hard for me to actually pinch. So that's a form of the information that I'm kind of talking about. Now, as they start to eat healthier and they start to lower down their training volume, it becomes a lot easier to pinch their skin. Um, and they think initially that they've lost quite a lot of weight. But mm. a lot of it is they've lost quite a lot of fluid or their body's been holding quite a lot of fluid because it's in such a stressed state. So when that inflammation decreases, obviously their weight decreases initially um, and they Come a little softer looking and their skin is easier uh, to pinch so there's so many factors and it depends on the individual but even particular individuals will have like their immune system set up to be a little bit more sensitive to like a histamine response mm. but if they are someone who is quite reactive to whether it be you know FODMAPs or uh, stress from training or undersleeping. Like I can definitely tell when someone's come in and they've either not slept enough or they've eaten a food which doesn't quite agree with their body um, or they've just been overtraining or they've not quite looked after their rest and recovery quite so much. So that can create a puffy look. Um, it could also be as simple as like their electrolyte balance if they're constantly sweating out and they don't have um, or they've excreted too much like potassium. And then their body is kind of in a little bit more um, of an electrolyte disimbalance, then that also can kind of change the way their body looks. Like I'll find one of my clients today, she's PCOS, but she would be more inflammatory focused. So she just went away on holiday. She came back looking so much leaner. And yeah. it wasn't because of anything changing like neat wise or steps or like her, her training or her food, but just she honestly just rested more. Mm. It's so, I like, thank you firstly for sharing all that because, yeah, definitely speaking my language, I see, I mean, I don't train people, but I, I treat a lot of people with thyroid issues who always have adrenal issues along with, you know, quote unquote, adrenal issues, um, HPA yeah. axis dysregulation issues. And it's amazing what stress can do to the body. Yeah. And you're right, it is individual though like everyone has a different tolerance to it and a way that their body responds which is why I think it can get confusing for women when they're like but Jackie down the road does mm. f45 six days a week and you know amazing. looks great <laughs> I just need to do what she does but you yeah. don't need to do what Jackie does you need to do right. what you need to do and I think also something important for people to remember, at least in my experience, is that how your body responds to different types of training um, and what that might look like physically on you or feel in your body can change over time. Like, mm -hmm. you know, for me, once upon a time when I was much younger and I was doing sensible amounts of like HIIT training, mm -hmm. it was fine. But then as I got older, um, and I'm not old at all, but just as I kind of life got busier and there were more stresses accumulating in my life, 
it kind of tipped the scale in the wrong direction in terms of just my stress bucket overflowed. And you have to look at, I think you have to look at stress as, you know, you have this bucket and there are certain things that fill it up and there are certain things that start to empty it out. And every individual is different in terms of how many things are being put in there and what effect they have and how many they're actually actively taking out. So I love, and I also bloody love that you shared the link between the gut and stress there. (laughs) Yeah. And you'll find that and they won't relate it. Like, I think it comes down to what people perceive as stress too. Like I will work my butt off and like, you know, Mm -hmm. I'll have all like, I'm like, Oh no, 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 I'm not, I'm fine. Like I'm never sick. Like I'm, I'm completely fine. And they're like, oh, you, you work too hard or you're too stressed. I'm like, I'm not stressed. Like, I've totally got this. And you'll find there are people like that as well, is that their perception of what stresses their body versus what's going on in their body can be two different things. Like, they'll be like, oh, no, 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 I'm doing really well. But then you can look at, okay, cool. Well, have you progressed in the weight that you're actually lifting? Mm-hmm. Has your sleep gone to shit? Um, you know, are you getting a lot more food cravings and you can't stick to the food I'm giving you and your hunger's increased or a hormone called ghrelin um, and you're really fluidy. Like your body is kind of giving signs that you are under some form of psychological, physiological kind of stress, but someone will still, depending on what they feel, like if they've never for a long time felt what it's like to be healthy and less inflamed um, and in a relaxed state and happy, their perception of what they think is stress and what their body looks like stress it's going to be completely different. Oh yeah, I so agree. I, I I I see that all the time, and I've had many experiences where, um, you know, clients have said to me that, you know, oh they they they're fine. They just get on with it. Just get it done. And they're the people where I'm like, red flag, red flag. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm like, I totally like. I don't want to take away from their like positive, you know, optimism <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But then I, I'm also like, it's not just a matter of mind over matter. Like I really think you, you know, I actually personally think there's more strength in being able to slow down some of the time. Yeah. I know for me, I would so have found it easier to just, like I have a history of over-exercising. Mm-hmm. I would have so found it easier to just get up and do what I'd already planned mentally in my mind to do yeah. than to be like, hey, body, how do you feel today? Maybe just a walk. I'm quite intuitive with it now. Yeah, yeah. but it's, you know, a, a massive journey. So what I want to do is play devil's advocate here now mm-hmm. for the people because I know it's a question listeners have. So do you think that someone has to lift weights um, to achieve a fit looking physique or do you think that some people can do it with something like HIIT or endurance training, for example? So in order to build muscle or to drop significant body fat or even just to support strong bones, I think, yes, you do need to lift weights. But this is where smart programming comes in. So we talk about like different muscle fiber types. So the genetics obviously plays a role in how your muscle fiber types are built and where they're situated in our body. However, we still can manipulate what is present. So if someone was, say, for example, like a dancer, we might do more lighter like, weight. Like me. Like oh, me, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, graceful dancer. <laughs> they might do potentially accumulation phases or, or lighter rep ranges and things if they don't want to stimulate those thicker muscle fiber types. However, they will plateau a lot quicker and you might find that those ballerinas or whoever they are, 
they have to control their diet a lot more strictly to avoid getting um, the bulkness, which is normally from more like triglycerides or glycogen or, or carbs, for example, in between our muscle fiber sheets um, to make it fuller. So you can manipulate it definitely, but they will plateau quite quickly. So to create that progressive overload, you, you do need to lift weights. Gotcha. Makes sense. And for, what about like for people listening that just love more of like endurance-based exercises like running or swimming or triathlons, is there a way to make that type of training more sustainable from like maybe let's talk about from like a hormone and health perspective. Like Mm -hmm. is there certain ways of um, breaking down that training or certain ways they should be eating if they're they're choosing to focus more on that style of training? Yeah, like there's a part of this as well. It's like you've got the happiness level too. Like there's a good, better, best. There's the best situation that I'll give someone. I'm like, look, I really don't want you to add cardio in yet because – I want it to be, I want to have tools in my toolkit. If someone starts with me, I'm not going to give them cardio straight away. It's going to be my last line of defense. One, because it might um, increase a little bit more inflammation in their body, but it is that caloric burn. If I can do that with nutrition first and get them stronger with weights, then I'll do that. Then I might to start to add in hit or lists um, and things throughout it. However, if it brings quite a lot of joy, um, and they can be really compliant to the program, then obviously I'm going to keep it in. Like one of my clients really loved doing um, the Bay Run Mm -hmm. Um, and so would run every weekend, but it was a family thing. So obviously if that brings quite a lot of happiness and community, I'm not going to take that away from someone. If I were to structure it potentially into their um, menstrual cycle, I might do it more with in like an accumulation phase when I like potentially like a luteal phase if it's low impact um, because we're, we can go into that later, but it, mm. we're easier to mobilize stubborn body fat at that point in time. So because of that, they it would make sense to do something like a low intensity or miss if they're doing running and something like that as well. Um, so yes, you can do it. And it may just equate to being more non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So something, if you're doing it repetitively, your body no longer gets quite a lot of stimulus from it because it just seems it as routine. Um, Mm. I think you like, there's a definitely a way to balance out what you like to do um, versus what's going to be most beneficial for your body composition. Yeah, that's definitely a constant battle of mine. I, um, I actually really love, cardio and the mm-hmm. hit stuff um and i go through phases with weights and so yeah. it's definitely a you know a, a like a balancing act for me i wish that i just loved lifting weights and that was it mm-hmm. but i just i am i am that person that's like maybe i'll just do some <laughs> running or hit or swing i think it's because it's what i grew up yeah doing. exactly um, so we a funny fly i'm going to send you some quizzes so all of my clients do <laughs> neurological testing um and like their values so we talked about before and you're like oh how long does a program run for mm-hmm. if someone um if they get bored easy um they may be more dopamine driven um if you're someone who likes to be quite outdoorsy and you can't really hold down to a set program um they may be more serotonin driven um and you spoke about people repeating the same exercise throughout a program if someone is more 
GABA driven. They mm-hmm. like repetitive and they want to master a skill. So they may be people that I do keep programming in things for. So it, it, that's why I think individual programming is so good is because you should be able to cater to what someone really loves, but like what their neurotype is and what their values are and what they enjoy doing and what's going to get them the best results, but they can be compliant to as well. Yeah, I so like I so agree with that because and also would be so interesting to do those quizzes. I think <laughs> I, I, I've done a few in my time, but I haven't done one recently. But I just I think it's really interesting. And I find the same thing in, in terms of when I'm working with you, like trying to find that balance between, OK, what brings you joy? What's going to move you closer to your goal? What really is your goal? Because I think getting someone to actually um, figure that out for themselves mm-hmm. is really important as well. A lot of people, I feel like, borrow goals or ha- create yeah. goals that they think they should have. And I'm like, what do you really want? Like some people really want to change their body composition and that is so fine. Mm-hmm. But some people really just want to enjoy the training that they're yeah, doing. Yeah, like move well. And- yeah, and I'm like, it doesn't matter what it is, but it matters that you know what it is because... Yeah sometimes yeah there has to be compromise and if you know what your goal is you can move towards it but if you don't or if you're trying to like achieve you know five billion different goals Mm. at the same time that are going to have some contradictions to them you're probably not going to get there and then it's going to leave you feeling like you haven't succeeded when yeah if you defined it in the first place I don't know if that's something that you come in into I don't come into contact with in terms of goal setting Yeah, I think a lot more in relation to food and things as well. But um, with their goal setting, like I do what they, their values and their goals and what it would mean for them, like kind of on a tangible level if they were to achieve it. So if they can taste it, if they can feel it and they feel like it's right there, they're going to be more adherent to the program. Now, when someone, um, I had a student in my course, she was like, oh, well, what happens when, you know, you've tried all these things and I'm a coach and things and, and I just can't stick to my nutrition. I just you know, for whatever reason, like on Saturday, like I just can't do it. And my response mm. to her was, wasn't was like, oh, you know, try harder or do this and or you should try this this way instead. My response to her was, I was like, you, you don't want it. Mm. Like, yeah. And some people just have to realise that as well as if you're pushing towards something and you keep getting in your own way to get it, there's a strong chance that you either have a big, a big kind of void against actually getting it or you have a priority which is bigger than that, that you're prioritising more, whether that be socializing and drinking on weekends and things and that is okay if you accept it and if you understand it or if you can link what you want with what you value most so yeah you can go out and be social and just go out for a coffee or something if you're in like or go out for a walk or social catch-ups and things like that they can still be involved if if friendship is like your highest value if someone can link it to what they want then that's going to serve them better but there's no point in setting a target which you won't achieve which will only make you feel yeah like you said like you feel shit about yourself because you're like oh why can't I do this you know you've got to make it something you can stick to but something that you're going to enjoy and be compliant to yeah exactly because you like you don't want to get to the end of for example a 12-week program or working with a practitioner for three months or whatever and feel like oh, okay that's over now I'm going to go back to what yeah. exactly what I was doing I think we have a similar philosophy in terms of trying to make ourselves 
redundant essentially in the in the process like educating people on how to actually understand their body and make the choices that are going to maintain their results post having their hand been whole because I think it's so important to have someone guide you and to put you on the right path and to help you but then there needs to be a point you know for most people where you can be that person for yourself and it doesn't just have to be I'm on a program, I'm off a program, I'm on a program, yeah. I'm off a program. Yeah. I think the marker of a good coach in any respect or in any kind of qualification is that the way your clients are without you is a reflection of how much education you've actually given them. Mm. Like they should be able to do it on their own by the end and that's kind of what I like to be able to say to my clients as well. It's like I'm not here to keep you. Like I I. I don't want to keep you. I want you to learn from this process and, and do it yourself. Um, but that I think is kind of what's missing. So, like we don't have a dieting problem or or like people not wanting to work out and working out is like if, if working out was a be and end all of like a physique change or anything, then every single person you see in a gym would be fit and, and shredded. Mm. But if it's like a nutrition focus, hence why we have like more of an obesity issue, then yeah. – um, like we don't, people know how to diet what they like we don't have a dieting issue we know how to make anything cauliflower or zucchini based like <laughs> uh, yes sir, i do yep. <laughs> i am a master um, <laughs> but what we struggle with is like the reverse dieting and the food psychology part of it like we just don't get taught that side of it as much as what we should like anyone can drop down to low calories and do it for a week or so but then getting out of that or um, understanding like the benefit or the importance and mindfulness around food and how it benefits more than just our body but also our psychology as well. I think mm. that's the biggest kind of gap in the industry at the moment. Yeah, I so I so agree. And I think it's not like I love that you encompass like movement, nutrition and psychology because it's half the battle isn't knowing what to do. It's actually doing it and the things that are standing in your way that are stopping you from taking consistent action. Like we're all human and every now and again, like, you know, you fall off the bandwagon or you make one decision that's not in complete alignment with your goals and whatever, move on. But it's in terms of like being able to make really consistent action, if you constantly are getting tripped up, like there's things to to look at there. Like you're not broken. It doesn't just not work for you. It's that the formula is off or there's something that you haven't uncovered for you as an individual. But it sells, right? Like if someone told you, you know, you you just keep messing up and this is the program that's going to work. And, Mm. you know, that's why people go back to Weight Watchers and things. And it's like, oh, I had a great body when I was on Weight Watchers. I'll just go back to Weight Watchers. Like I'm going to go back to my 1,200 calories because that's what worked. No, that's what worked temporarily. Yes, and we are so going to touch on this in a second because this topic fascinates me. Before we do, so I want to stay on this nutrition mm-hmm. line of talking. So when it comes to fat loss nutrition, what do you think is the biggest mistake women make in particular? Ah, okay. So we kind of mentioned this before, but as far as being the queens of cauliflower and zucchini, <laughs> um, yeah. the biggest mistake I think that women make is that they live in a deficit. So this is going into more controversial, but women, I think, from a young age are taught to minimise, reduce and shrink themselves. You know, diet magazines and and dieting food and things like that is very much marketed at women. 
um, yeah. go play. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say what the like was. There was more to it, and I always used to try and say it, but I can't. Oh, the, oh, the only food saying I know is like popular no stuff. Yes, I always try and learn that. Once I YouTubed it for a few hours to try and learn it, and I still can't. <laughs> I'm so well, sad. exactly. It's a good one because it relates to tacos, so that's yes. fine. Um, <laughs> but basically, what happens when we do that is that we're downregulating um, our metabolic rate, so our body kind of becomes into more of a survival mode. And just so I can find the exact terminology, so I'm not going to lose it completely for you guys. But um, it's our body's response to under eating. So it's going to naturally remove um, some of your body's processes or shrink the size of our organs um, and lean, lean uh, body mass to help accommodate for the fact that you aren't eating enough. When that then happens, if we um, make that biological adaptation to the energy restriction or dieting, it's slowing our metabolic rate and to a greater extent than what's kind of predicted by either physics or by maths alone. If we then... so it is there to help us. If we then follow that caloric restriction with something like binge eating or overeating, we kind of stress the extracellular matrix of our adipose tissues. That creates cell differentiation. So basically we increase the number of fat cells that we have because our body has down-regulated to adapt to the calories that we're consuming. When, we, when our body is happy, it doesn't really care about how many fat cell numbers it has. It cares about the size of them. So it doesn't matter how many fat cells you can, you can create. Like you can make as many as you want. You can continue to make them. You can't ever lose them. So if we've come from this chronic restriction and we, we're kind of set up in a position to gain more body fat if we add in calories quite quickly. So when that fat cell size goes back to normal of what it was like before we were dieting, that's when our body will be in a more of a kind of homeostasis or balanced state. The fat cells that we have, they're the ones that control two hormones, which um, are like our hunger and satiety, so our leptin and our ghrelin. So the lower the leptin we have, which is when we're dieting, um, the more ghrelin we have, so the more hunger we have. So you're putting yourself in a really poor position. You're in a position where you have greater potential to store body fat um, and then your hunger hormones are actually increased as well. So the position you're in at the end of dieting isn't the best, especially if you're going to then jump onto quite a lot of higher calories because like, yay, like diet mm. over, summer came, just going to eat my feelings. Like mm. it, it's not ideal, but because all we kind of really know is this My Fitness style 1200 calories, if I can save a brand. Um, yes, you can. <laughs> or even F45, 1,200 calories. Mm -hmm. um, those kind of things are setting people up to fail. So the more we diet, the more we are predisposed to gaining more body fat because we create more body fat cells. Mm. Well, that sucks that we can't get rid of them, doesn't it? I know, right? Sorry, everyone. <laughs> With a bear of bad news. So if someone has yo-yo dieted and calorie restricted for years because i can think of you know a, a dozen patients at least that would fall into this category and i i dare say i would have i mean i had an eating disorder for like a good decade mm -hmm. and i would i reckon i'd fall into that category so 
what like what happens in that instance if someone's done that so obviously you're saying that the fat cell um nut weight number increases yes the the number increases yeah so we accumulate all the all of these fat cells does it make it impossible for these people to lose weight or can we still create that change but we have to use a different tactic they can still create the change um and then obviously the tactics that we use, like hence why I keep cardio towards more of the back end because it's kind of like a last line of resort, but it's done so in more of a smart kind of programming or dieting way. So um, if it was um, like, this is why I take on a lot of reverse diet clients. And when someone comes to me, they're like, oh, you know, I really want to diet down, um, but um, you know, can, we, can we start dieting now? And they're on, say, 1,400 calories when they come to me. I'm like, how long have you been on that for? Mm. Um, and they're like, oh, like a few months now, it's, it's not really happening. Like my body just doesn't really seem to change. They kind of get surprised. But one of the first things that I do is I reverse diet them. So I very gradually increase their calories without their, hopefully to, for lack of a better word, but so their body doesn't really know what's going on. So we have... Um, more of a gauge of what our lean body mass is and if I increase it really slowly so it might only start if they've been calorie dieting or really low for a while it might only start at increasing them by 75 calories if it's that bad Um, Mm. and then maybe up to 100 calories and that might be every seven to ten days that their calories increase so which is kind of um, counterintuitive to what they expect is going to happen they expect that I'm going to give them a miracle Mm. meal plan of their 1400 calories with you know bananas from caramelized from narnia and like some kale juice <laughs> what um, you can't do that <laughs> <laughs> there is no fat free foods or calorie free foods guy um sorry to ruin it all for you um but like they think they're like why is she giving me more food and then i all i basically want to re- increase the calories very slowly without their body really taking note of what's happening and at most they might gain 200 grams to 300 grams per calorie increase um, which for the most part will just be fluid if it's carbohydrates um, until they get to their perceived baseline so there's a baseline that everybody's expected to have or their TDEE which is like your total daily energy consumption that you should be having if someone's well below that I need to reverse diet them to at least that perceived TDE and hold them for a few weeks before I even think of dieting them So I'm kind of offsetting any potential or greater damage to increase fat cell number or size um, by reverse dieting them up first. Mm, That makes sense. And and I can imagine that, you know, that process can take some time and that, you know, being patient with the process is important because I'm just thinking if you've got someone that's been eating 1,400 calories a day and you're needing to increase it gradually to their maintenance calories that might be like 2000 or 2200 or more Mm. than that even like that will take some time so how like I'm interested as a coach like how do you keep someone motivated during that time where perhaps I mean for some people 
they might lose like their body composition, like yeah. they change in a positive way. Some people they might not, but they'll be eating heaps more. How yeah. do you help that person who isn't one of the quote unquote lucky ones that loses um, body fat or like, or their body yeah. composition changes in a really favorable way during a reverse diet? What, how do you support someone who, you know, they have to go through this process because yeah. it's essentially the last option, but the frustration might be there because they're eating more and more and more and they just want to be changing their body composition in like in terms of losing weight. Like how do you support someone yeah. through that process? Well, I think that education at the start is like I'm never going to bullshit someone. Like I'm never going to say like, look, only do 12 weeks, we'll reverse out, you get your shredded and everything like that. Like I explain to them from the start, like this is going to be a longer process. Like my minimum that I take someone on is for 24 weeks. I need you to understand that it's six weeks for a new gut lining. It's 18 months, the last cell in your body to die off or apoptosis. So your body's set point is determined by how long you spend in, in a certain um, uh, caloric uh, intake um, and your body, how long it's maintained that body composition for. So if you've spent a large percentage of your life growing up quite lean and athletic and majority of the years of your life have been that way, you'll be more likely to not really gain weight in your reverse diet. Now, I actually have a pretty good strike rate. Most of my clients lose weight in their reverse diet or they at least maintain. So, Mm -hmm. you know, going for like the win. Um, But if you pre-frame to them and like, look, the most I'll allow you to gain is half a kilo. And they're like, okay, cool. Well, if you can deal with half a kilo, but you get to eat more food, that's kind of one goalpost. I think the other thing I like to focus on is this is the point where I want to focus on progressive overload and like show me, show me that the calories I'm giving you can equate to an extra 10 kilos on your squat Mm. or can allow you to do a pull up or, you know, a big one. And this is kind of the one I I, um, smashed on Instagram quite a lot is that libido. I'm like, you know, I want you to report back to me that you are having the most amazing like relationships and your libido is jacked and, you know, because that's a big thing and like one of the big things that people don't really take notice of they're like oh well I look okay like my mental health is fine and um you know my partner's happy I'm like okay cool like and I'll get TMI with them I'm like so how's your sex life like yeah uh, (laughs) so I'm Amy and how's your sex life (laughs) oh it so starts like and I'll be like so how many times a day are you pooping like Mm. they they joke at me because I'm actually I will ask them I'm like did you poop this morning Mm. did you like or like how was your date night? Like, I, I really want to know, but it's something that's not talked about enough and it is kind of something which is, um, I'm trying to think what the word is, but basically it's not spoken about enough. Yeah. Uh, and women should have like cyclical, albeit like with their cycle, but they should be able to have a jack libido at points. Um, so now what I find with a lot of the women that I do reverse diet is I want to also track their happiness. And then mm. because they don't realize what carbs can do. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I definitely understand. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when they start to get happy for no reason, I was like, like, this is what I want you to expect. I want you to feel as though you can, you feel like running for no reason. Like you've got so much energy that if someone asks you to like, hey, do you want to go like kick the footy in the, in the park, that you're all of a sudden up for it. You're no longer that grumpy, sour person <laughs> sitting there. It's like, no, dressing on the side, please. <laughs> I actually I am that three, person. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I would be that too. Like for a long time, like competing in things as well. And like 
I would have had like, and this is why I can kind of relate to the girls that I do reverse that. I would have had no emotion at all. Mm-hmm. Like if yeah. something good happens, eh. if something bad happens, eh. like, <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing. But you also want to feel as though like you can be happy for no reason, like and just enjoy your days and um, you can be more loving and you're all of a sudden you're the person who actually gives hugs when you wouldn't have in the past. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like they're kind of the goalposts that people don't that's what makes a quality life and those kind of things to get those clients to focus on like their mood and their happiness and their energy and how strong they can be and how much, how high their libido can get you know and how much food they can have like all of a sudden they can go out with their friends and actually enjoy a meal rather than going home to have their chicken and broccoli like their calories are a lot higher and it gives them more of a bank. And the fact that their body composition isn't really changing, but the calories are increasing, it's kind of a win for them in that case. And they're like, oh, because the ones who do it the worst are actually the lean ones. Mm. And the ones who have the most messed up guts are generally the people who've been chronically restricting their calories as well. Yeah, that's definitely been um, my experience with clients as well. And I think, you know, it's... It's also about getting out, like just realizing that how, putting things into perspective, like how long have you felt like this or been doing this and recognizing that um, like for me, for example, not specifically related for fat loss, but for a lot of the thyroid and gut patients that Mm -hmm. I treat, I ask them like, how long have you been feeling this way and been suffering from a lot of these different issues and symptoms? And for so many of them, it's rarely just a few months. It's years of feeling like that. And I just have to say, you know, it's not realistic to think that in one week's time, all of it's going to be gone. Like we have to give your body a little bit more like time and patience than that and recognize that, you know, you will feel better along the way, along this journey, but you can't expect to reverse years of um, this, you know, not feeling this way or treating your body maybe not the way that it should have been treated, even though we're all just doing the best we can at each time. But it's not just going to turn around overnight. And I really dislike any messages that, you know, I mean, fat loss, fat loss is an easy example where they're just like eight weeks, you know, <laughs> whatever. And I think it's it's dangerous because it sets people up for being angry and disconnected from their body. And yeah. I think that that is a huge problem in itself. Like your body is always doing its best to protect you, including when it stops you from losing body fat because it's downregulated your metabolism. And the more you're angry at your body and feel betrayed, like I feel like on some level, like the less likely it is to do what you want. And I I just, yeah, that's been my experience as well. Like a negative mindset can never bring a positive result. Nailed it. Line of the podcast. I love it. Actually, it, it, it was really? probably it wasn't the poopy one. No, no. I, I, it was. That's that's regular talk for me. It was. It was when you stung the taco line. <laughs> taco, taco line is always gonna be it. I'm just gonna be honest. <laughs> no, there well, was maybe that could be it. That could be it. It's like you get more food, but you get to keep this body. Like what's all in stuff. <laughs> this needs to be incorporated into like your business model or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh so funny. You should dress up as a taco too. Like, <laughs> With just... my own sign, like people do outside. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, we're probably the only ones laughing. But that's probably. Okay. 
<laughs> so in terms, like I really want to um, touch on as well, training and eating in relation to someone's cycle. Cause I think this is something that fascinates me and like shocks me that women don't know anything about, like they do not realize. And I've made it, made it a point, I think in the last three podcasts I've recorded that have we've talked about hormones at all to try and get different people to talk about this and i'm really interested to hear your opinion on how you approach this with women so maybe let's start with the training side of things Mm -hmm. so throughout a cycle how do you change people's training regime okay so i love that i don't know if you're seeing when i got my period back after six years this was a big event um so i love talking periods so this is good um so so period poop and sex. Period <laughs> poop and fertile, sex. You know? And I also talk food. I ask for food form pictures uh, all the time. Yes. So. yes. Um, okay. So if I'm looking at like uh, our follicular, oh, I could say menses and stuff there. So when we have kind of our menses or our bleeds, um, I'm focusing on a lot more like blood flow work. This is if the client wants to follow a structure in alignment with their cycle. Um, obviously, they don't have to. Um, but it is an option given. So, you know, it might be more of their strongman work as well, but you're just looking for that, that flow movement and it might be 70 to 75% of their max weight. Um, obviously, if they're doing yoga or something, I would suggest no twists or inversions and things. If they're coming to their follicular phase or like their extrovert kind of time, um, so we with their increasing of estrogen, we're actually more insulin sensitive. So we have improved insulin sensitivity. This is fantastic for if we're going into intensification phase, which is what I would refer to as that strength focus with the lower reps. So there are two weeks there. If I was doing a fortnightly undulating program, they might do two weeks of strength and focusing on hitting really big numbers there, but low rep ranges. Um, because they have that increased insulin sensitivity, I might give them more carbs um, and also more protein to help that recovery from the heavier loads that they're lifting. Um, When we talked about, I kind of mentioned before, but like our adrenal receptors, don't really need to know much about this one, but alpha and beta receptors are on our cell sites and they respond to cytokines or um, our stress kind of response. So in our follicular phase, it's harder to mobilize fat. So this is where I might incorporate, because they can recover well, I might incorporate HIIT if I were to do it because that allows us to mobilise stubborn body fat. When we then get to um, ovulation, we know we have that peak kind of strength and we can we can perform really well in the gym. Um, so this might be where I set a target for them to actually HIIT strength-wise. Um, when I look at then like their luteal phase or their kind of introvert time, it's easier so our alpha receptors as one of our receptors are down regulated and our beta are up regulated what this means is it is easier to mobilize stubborn body fat so because it is easier as i said before like you might want to add in your runs here you might do more lifts or miss um like low intensity or moderate intensity because we're going to naturally be able to get our blood flow into our stubborn body fat sites Whereas in our follicular phase, it's a little bit harder to get that blood flow going there. And where there isn't blood flow, it's obviously harder to mobilize any stored energy in that area. Um, So the luteal phase might be more higher rep ranges or like an accumulation phase. But because we have that decreased estrogen, we might look at giving um, like a lower carb amount um, 
But because of the increase in metabolic rate with higher progesterone, um, I've occasionally given someone, so because it's like three to 5%, I might've given them one to 300 calories at night from like berries or dark chocolate or banana or something to help with their cravings and also because they kind of have that buffer there. Mm. I don't, it, it doesn't matter, but I at least pre-warn them that it's going to be harder to start a dieting phase in a luteal um, phase of their cycle. Um, and because they, so um, estrogen being like a carrier for serotonin to our brain, like if they are a little bit sadder or moodier or anything in their luteal phase, I might suggest things like going to get their serotonin kind of from the outdoors or going for ocean swims or this outdoors um, just so they can actually naturally get that serotonin released from there. But because it is easier to mobilize body fat, that's when I'll look at getting them to do more lists here. Um, mm. They could do higher calories if they wanted in their luteal phase for two weeks, but keep it low carb. Um, and then they could do lower calories, but higher carb in their follicular phase. But you'll find that everyone's kind of individual. I have done two weeks dieting, two weeks baseline calories with clients, uh, with a client before, and she really enjoyed it. But like you said, like not everyone wants to take that extra detail and some people just want to get in, get it done and they don't want to prep for two weeks and then prep something different in the next two weeks. Um, mm-hmm. So it really depends on the client. Yeah. I, I And I really, I really like the idea of working with our cycle though, because I also think it helps teach women to tune in more instead yeah. of just like, I feel like it's almost a stepping stone to being really intuitive. Like it's, it's kind of where that kind of hand feeding what you should be looking for and how you should be responding. And they notice how that makes them feel better. Um, And, you know, over time they can see the effect that it has on them. The one thing I wanted to quickly clarify, which I realized I didn't before was just for those people that are listening that are like, what is LIS? Um, can you tell them what it is and give a couple of examples? Okay, so LIS is low intensity steady state. So um, it would be about 65 to 70 at most, more like 65% of your max heart rate. Our max heart rate is, if you want to do the calculation at home, it's 220 take your age. That's your max heart rate. If you divided that by 100 and times it by 65, that's how many beats per minute you would want your heart rate at during a low intensity steady state kind of movement. Now this could be riding a bike, uh, going for a walk, um, rollerblading if you really want. That's what I'm trying to get into. Oh damn, that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, before the stacks. Like I don't know if the stacks still count. Um, sure. Yeah, of course. <laughs> could be cross trainer. Could be swimming. <laughs> um, so whatever it is, you just want it's it's kind of like a heart rate rep range of 65% of your max heart rate. Um, whereas like you're looking at like 80 or like 90% of your max heart rate if you're doing more of a hit. Yeah, so it, the, the way that kind of works, and this is why I talk about alpha and beta receptors and things, is because certain rep ranges of our heart rate increase, obviously, our stress hormones and stress response that can allow stored body fat to be mobilized. But low intensity, like lists and things, is actually where we oxidize uh, stubborn body fat or, or released energy. So... This is why as well, like someone who runs all the time and becomes more skinny fat, they don't necessarily lose a lot of body fat. They just lose a lot of size or muscle because they can't quite get into those stored body fat amounts Mm -hmm. or they just 
mobilize it, but they don't actually burn it off. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, so interesting. It's all so interesting. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear everyone will probably have some follow-up questions, which we can maybe get you back on for. But I actually, before we get too close to the end, I have two more questions for you. One is if you could change one to three things about the fitness industry, what would you change? Assuming that you have all of the money and all of the support in the world. Okay. So if I could do uh, the fitness, mm, so there's a big divide obviously between kind of what health practitioners want and what fitness um, uh, professionals want. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what I find is it's either there's people who are do what I say, don't do what I do kind of fitness people. Um, And Instagram is kind of heavily run with people who believe that it's a look, like it's very aesthetics focused, like you have to have abs to be fit, you have to um, eat egg whites or the opposite, like you can eat donuts all day and Mm. you can um, still have shredded abs and, you know, like this is just how I look naturally. I woke up like this. But I've, the people who are the worst for this are also the ones who are not natural. Um, And they're giving this idea to the general population that it's okay to do this and that you'll get a fantastic result out of it. Like if you just follow my program, which I don't actually do myself, if you just eat from my nutrition that I don't actually eat myself. Mm. You know, if you just take this whey protein, which by the way, I don't do because everything I've got is laced with <laughs> some extras. <laughs> with some extras. <laughs> you know, um, then that's like it's false advertising. Mm. And that's probably the biggest thing that I have a big issue with. Um, and a lot of the, like I will refuse to be sponsored by anyone. Like I'm not going to get Invisalign and be like, hey, guys, dental checks, you know. <laughs> Just kind of get, I mean, someone could mock my teeth now and be like, you know what, you need them. Um, but, <laughs> but I'm also not going to inject melanotan and say that this is how I look because I live a healthy and fit lifestyle because Australians are known for being tan, but we're not known for being orange. Um mm-hmm. So <laughs> debatable as the years go on. <laughs> yeah, this is true. No one for Lumbers over here. Um, but I think what is marketed isn't actually what is true health. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of the balance between is like, no, you, some people genetically will not have abs show even if they are um, 15 or 12% body fat. And, you know, some people can be completely healthy um, and not look aesthetically the way you'd expect them to. I've seen some of the worst blood results ever from some of the people who look the most aesthetically pleasing. Mm. Um, Some of the people with biggest neurological disorders or mental health issues yet look their best. Mm. Um, So I I think there needs to be like kind of bridging the gap between the two and finding that common ground, which I think is starting to happen more. so if it was, and the only other thing as well, like we spoke about, is that I don't want to retain clients. So if I were to change the industry or if I was given millions of dollars, it would be more an education platform or a system or um, a program that the general population can do to learn, not to be coached, but to actually learn how their body works. Yeah, yeah. I can see it now. It'll be great. And they could pay <laughs> you in tacos. Exactly. The icon <laughs> itself is going to be a taco. <laughs> I really love that. And I, I feel like, yeah, all of those are such valid things. I actually thought if you don't mind, I have one more question because it's something that we've talked about on the podcast before. And 
I find it a really interesting thing to to contemplate. It's this idea of there seems to be these two camps where there's one that says you if you love your body, you can't want to change how it looks. Mm-hmm. And then the other camp that say um, like like the opposite basically it's kind of like you either love your body and you don't want to make any changes to it Mm -hmm. or if you want to make changes to it then it means that you don't love your body and I think people can feel really confused and conflicted by this especially if they're working really hard at loving themselves and their body and feeling comfortable and confident in their skin Mm. Um, they can feel like oh I can't possibly want to make any changes yeah. to the way this looks what are your thoughts on that and have you ever struggled with that yourself yeah definitely like um like I do a lot of like positive self-esteem stuff and then people will be like oh you're just conceited um but I think like I I competed for a long time but I didn't compete because I wanted to change my body I competed because I wanted to push my body uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, to see what it was capable of. Now, I was a gymnast growing up, so um, I I watched a lot of Stick It and um, <laughs> Anastia Lukin and like all my idols. I did that. I've once fallen asleep in the splits because I was so determined to get it. Um, and like I would make my dad build me a trapeze and like I'd have ice baths and things. So. I approach it very much from more of an athlete perspective. So I love the challenge of competing in fitness because it meant for the one I did was ICB. It meant I had to do a gymnastics routine as well as do physique changes and things like that. So for me, Mm. I was like, at least I can demonstrate my strength and I can demonstrate my sporting ability um, on top of just a physique. Now, I think if it comes from a positive mental um, approach and it's not focused 100% on aesthetics, but it's focused on how your body feels, um, then I think your healthiest body is the one that you allows you to be healthy and move and have a great range of motion. Um, it allows you to have a menstrual cycle if you're female, and for male and female, allows you to have like a high libido. Um, it's the one that allows you to eat with your family and friends um, in moderation of like the less, nutrient dense Mm -hmm. but highly palatable foods um it's you know it's the one that continually gets stronger or focusing on that progressive overload i think if it comes from a positive mental state i think the same thing can be said for anyone who gets not that i like it but if they're getting any kind of change their body uh like say botox or lip filler or Mm -hmm. anything like that if it's from a positive standpoint and their mindset is in the right place and they genuinely enjoy the way they look already and they just want to enhance their natural features um, and or they just want to see what they're capable of in a fitness protocol um, and and push their their mindset or their push their mental capabilities, then that is fine. If it's coming from a I loathe myself and I need to improve or no one will love me unless I do this, I don't think that's okay. Mm, yeah, I so agree. And I think the one thing I'd close that out with saying is that you're the only one that knows the answer to that. Like people will be so quick to judge you no matter which way you choose to turn. And the only, like the only person that knows where the motivation to make any change is coming from is you. And that's the only person you need to worry about, even though it's hard. um, I just think that that's something I really encourage people to to remember. I'm out of time and I really want to get my last question out. So I'm going 
to squeeze it in here, which is what is something you're loving right now that's improving your health? So it can be either improving your health physically or emotionally or mentally or spiritually. What's just something that is floating your boat? Okay, so I love the ocean. So that's always going to be in there, the ocean gifts. But there's actually, um, well, meditation. And I've been always shit with meditation. And I'll be like five minutes. I actually did my yoga TTC and we had to do an hour of meditation. That probably almost killed me. Mm. Um, but I can do five minutes. I can do seven minutes. So any kind of meditation apps I have. But probably one of the biggest things is there's, I'm trying to think exactly what the name is, but one of my apps is like a gratitude app. Um, yeah, but I really like it because I'm quite visual. So you set the date and you put, um, what you were grateful for and it gives you kind of like cues, um, of like what you can think of, like, you know, who did I help today or someone I admire the best part of today was, um, mm. a reason to be excited about the future, etc. Um, but then you get to pick a photo. So it's a free app. Um, so it means that every entry that you have in your little diary has a photo. So, you know, as we're quite photo kind of culture so if you've got mm. something it could be an amazing meal that you had that day or it could be a quote that you've screenshot and you could add that to your gratitude kind of log mm. um and i think yeah that's one of my favorites because it allows you to focus on like the you know we're very easy especially if you're like me and you're quite perfectionist but focus on the things you didn't get done or the things you haven't achieved yet or what went wrong whereas having kind of the gratitude journal um, it not only allows you to set like your affirmations, like your own, um, but it allows you to focus on what you're grateful for. Ooh, I love that. Well, I will find the name of that um, later and mm-hmm. pop it in the show notes for people because that sounds delightful. Um, and thank you so much for spending this time with us and educating us on so much stuff. I am sure, as I said, people will have way more questions um, that they're interested in. Um, Before we do wrap up, where can people find more um, information about you or just hear what you have to say more? Um, So I like writing and I kind of find it hard to limit it on Instagram, but on Instagram I would be at needamfit, so need and then the letter N for mum and then F-I-T for fitness. Um, I will also give a link to set up to jump onto my mailing list. So I'm in the process now of launching my website with all of my blogs because I like to write, um, which will be www.needandfit.com. But I'll also do weekly emails on a Tuesday um, and sometimes a rant, but most of the time it's educational. We'll take whatever you send. <laughs> so I need to talk about some <laughs> and some poo. So. Beautiful. That's my kind of talk. Um, <laughs> I will pop the link to that in the show notes for anyone that um, would love to sign up to that. And we can follow you on Insta. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Holistic Nutritionist Podcast. Remember, we love to make the show relevant to you. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss, just submit them to podcast at nataliekdouglas.com and we'll get them answered for you. Also, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with a friend. And if you're looking for more info about how we can accelerate your journey to optimal health, You can find me, Nat, over at nataliekdouglas.com and Kate at theholisticnutritionist.com. See you next time.